You're listening to Deeply Curious, a podcast about our ever-evolving philosophy of life and faith and the curious pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. I'm Cody Jensen. And I'm Sarah Jensen. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the multiple intelligence theory. Essentially, we're we're continuing a series on emotional, mental health, but also self-awareness. So we're piggybacking on last episode where we talked about mental capacity. And if you missed that episode or if you do not remember, just a quick refresher that um, the mental capacity conversation Mm -hmm. is about your margins, your specific capacities in your life, mental and real like yeah physical physical like you have a capacity of time all of us have the same capacity of time we only have 24 hours but not all of us have the same capacity for everything else right my capacity for social interaction is higher than sarah's um, capacity for social interaction but just because i have a higher capacity for social interaction doesn't mean that i can max that out because then i may not have margin right and margin is the space between your load and your limits So we talked about that and how you go into chronic overload and how you have to recognize that just because you're really good at something and you have a lot of capacity for it doesn't mean that you can just operate there, operate there at full speed Mm -hmm. and the rest of your life. Yeah, we were just to throw this in there on that conversation. We were watching a documentary and they were talking about it. It's about climate change, but they were talking about the chronic stress of the earth and how whenever something is chronically stressed, like things are happening to it all the time, it just stops working, mm-hmm. you know? And I just had a thought that like, we can't, as humans can't understand that about the earth because we don't understand it about ourselves. Right. Like we are operating generally in America, probably elsewhere at chronic stress levels. <laughs> so we don't actually even know that we're chronically stressed. Like we feel like something might be off or whatever. You're like almost always at a breaking point, you know, but we've never operated in a healthy manner to even really kind of have the wherewithal of what that means, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking about that. Like if we're operating on these such high levels we don't actually even know that we're so unhealthy. Right. You know? Yeah. You don't have the, the so, margin to even recognize that you right. aren't operating at 100 because you've been operating at 75 for so long, it feels like 100. Exactly. So I think that was like most of the conversation in the last podcast is learning how to recognize where you need improvement or where you need to like cut back and you know, all that stuff. So piggybacking on that conversation of mental capacity and recognizing the margins, that space between your load and your limits, Um, just continuing on that into the multiple intelligence theory, which is a theory that is contrary to the most widely accepted theory of the past of general intelligence. Right. That every person has a specific general intelligence number. Um, You could call that IQ, but it has been measured as you have one intelligence and you are either smart or you are not smart or you're average, you know, Mm -hmm. basically if you're on a sliding scale. But I think that one thing that is easy to kind of wrap your mind around is we've all known people and we've all said these phrases of, oh, well, that person is book smart. Or that person is street smart. Mm -hmm. Somebody with an 
incredible amount of academic knowledge has very little common sense. Right. Or somebody with crazy street smarts didn't even go to school, dropped out of high school and found success well beyond the person who right. got straight A's but learned no social intelligence. Right. So multiple intelligence theory is essentially that you are neither smart nor dumb. Right. You are just a person mm -hmm. and you may be more intelligent in this thing than you are that thing, but you can't, it's hard to measure the general intelligence of somebody who intimately and intricately knows the land and how the land works and has a naturalistic intelligence of just relating information to one's natural surroundings and is able to know the plants, know the animals and maintain this like ecosystem of right. harmony and live amongst that track animals and what it means to the, to the different smells and the different sights and the different footprints. Mm -hmm. All of that is knowledge. Right. Or, or like a mechanic. Right. Who knows the ins and outs of cars and whatever is like way smarter at that than I am. Any sort of specialized, I suppose, trade. Right. It's like a mechanical genius. Yeah. But is one of those guys who we saw a guy like this in a documentary mm -hmm. um, just recently. Oh, I think it was actually we were watching uh, Making a Murderer. Oh, yeah. That's a great documentary. If you I missed it when it came out a long time ago. So I just watched it fascinating and one of the episodes that i caught it was the avery the salvage yard and yeah. the dad who is almost incoherent in his speech yeah but you can tell that he is a mechanical genius he just n knows all the things about parts and if you bring him anything that is you know non-computerized machinery right it's like it just immediately knows how it interconnects, how it works. And it's very impressive. That is an incredible set of intelligence that, mm -hmm. that, that he has, but is generally thought of as a stupid person. Yeah. As somebody uneducated, uneducated who is, you know, owns a salvage yard. Poor because the intelligence of which he is incredible at is no longer the intelligence needed to thrive in our economic system. I would say is no longer the intelligence valued right. in is, our economic system. Correct. Yeah. And now you can be actually be really dumb and be a billionaire. Yeah. Maybe not a billionaire, but you can be really dumb and be a millionaire. Yeah. Um, Pretty easy. And not know as much as this person that or even is like, considered low class and, and mm -hmm. unintelligent yeah or even like um i think about tailors and just like people who sew mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not like a thing that i am capable of understanding i don't know how to like look at somebody standing in a suit and know what needs to be adjusted mm -hmm. you know what i mean like that's a dying art right and I think that's kind of a, a visual intelligence. Yes. And that's one of the 
intelligences that is included in the multiple intelligence theory and the multiple intelligence theory has a whole scientific backing the guy that has all these criteria that he uses each of the intelligences are called modalities and there's all these criteria that each one has to fit within and check so many boxes before it's considered to be an official part of of like we've we found evidence for this in in a scientific biological study and social cognitive studies have also matched it and things like that i think that is it is mostly interesting to know the theory so that you can think about yourself differently Mm -hmm. um before i move on just so you know an intelligence modality or just one of these different intelligences is um, it has to fit within the eight specific criteria. Um, we don't need to go through all of them, but it's just they they do have to go through a criteria list in mm-hmm. order to be included. And some interesting ones are like brain damage. If you get in a motorcycle accident, you hit your head and you damage your brain and you can no longer play music. Right. Then, then that's kind of evidence that you had like a specific knowledge center. Or in that you get brain damage and now you can play music. <laughs> Correct. Um, which is also another criteria is the evidence of savants in an area. Mm-hmm. So a savant is somebody who is a prodigy or, you know, a, right. a prodigy is basically a young savant, if I understand like correctly. Like a John Mayer with guitar, you know. Right. He's a so savant. It's just somebody who unnaturally is amazing yeah. at something. Yeah. From a young age or for 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 lack of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are evidences of, of savants and et cetera in each of these um, areas. So in the multiple intelligence theory, eight or nine, um, he's added a ninth that I'll mention, but it's music intelligence. So sensitivity to rhythm, pitch, tone, melody, or timber. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, that's like a musical intelligence. And like our friend Josh, has a high, high musical intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's insane to s- watch somebody mm-hmm. with musical intelligence because I don't, like I have very little musical intelligence. And he just like makes up stuff all the time. It's kind of irritating actually. <laughs> right, whenever, and our uh, brother-in-law as well, it's like sitting down at a piano or picking up a guitar and yeah. immediately- Just starts playing whatever. Can just begin playing and begin singing mm-hmm. and in a different melody. And under and making it up on the spot, knowing and, what note is next, yeah, knowing what sounds good, you know, in in literally four beats, a new note I haven't thought of yet is about to happen. I have to pick it, which note it is, hear it in my head, and then play, play it with it. my fingers, like, and know that it's going to sound good, <laughs> right? Um, I'm sure people with musical intelligence are like, yeah, you're dumb. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Another one, visual or spatial intelligence. This is something other that I know that I've always been high in. Um, right. As it, most of you can have seen our apartment tour videos. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, it's basically just high spatial judgment, um, the ability to see what's in the mind's eye. Right. And so that's just a visual, a spatial intelligence that I have. I can look in at a space and I typically know more than the average of how to make this space feel nice. Right. Um, just have spatial judgment. It's also within design and like com- composition, photography. Mm-hmm. It's just- right, like I can look at, at something, like a design or something, and know that it feels off, but not really know why. But like you can look at it and give every single reason of what what is off or what is on, you mm-hmm. know? 
I can't do that. So uh, the next one is uh, verbal or linguistic intelligence. So this is somebody who has intelligence in reading, writing, telling stories, memorization of words and dates. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be Sarah. Yeah, that's um, me. That is some Sarah is somebody who has a definite high capacity or intelligence in the verbal. Just words. Just words in general that she's can read faster than the average, can comprehend more than the average. Writing is a skill that comes naturally and enjoys. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I'm good at mem- remembering words too. And dates. <laughs> yeah, and dates. This is something you come naturally in. Yes. Um, I've. Yeah, I've never worked at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and next one is logical or mathematical intelligence. So logic, abstractions, reasoning, numbers, and critical thinking. There is the whole language of math. Yeah. Um, that it is easier for some people to understand the language of math mm-hmm. than it is for other people to understand the language of math. Mm-hmm. But then there's also just abstractions and logic and critical thinking that is is in that same intelligence um, modality. Right, using the same parts of the brain. Right. And I feel like both of us uh, feel highly in, in yeah. that one. Yeah, I always thought it was interesting in school my favorite subjects were English and math, which are usually in op. It's usually you're either into English and history or science and math, but I was always English and math Hmm. and I never really understood what that meant. Maybe that's what it means. Yeah. I think for me, it was a little bit of, uh, geometry was the math that I was drawn to. See, I hated geometry. You hated it. Yeah. Because geometry is visual math. Hmm. So am I not a visual person? Well, no, I don't think. I that's... think you've definitely grown in your visual abilities, but from a young age and growing up, you've always been somebody who's like, "Well, I just can't see it." Yeah, I have to like physically see it in order to for my mind to wrap around. Like, I can't envision something. Right. You know well, what I mean. Whereas I'm like constantly envisioning things. Hmm. Interesting. So, like, I've I was always into the geometry side. Yeah. Of math, I loved the the math algebra problems that took an entire page to solve. That was my like, just such a sense of accomplishment when you're done with those, which is insane to me. I, it and still makes me smile. The feeling I would get when I would finish one of those problems and it would be right, oh, it's so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next intelligence is bodily or kinesthetic, so control of body, athletes, dancers. Um, mm. p- police officers, soldiers. Um, so, so you just have like a strong, like actual physical learning. You learn with oh, like if you say I'm learning. a very hands-on learner. I believe so, and and just, but also like the professions would be like athletes, right? Like dancers, you're just physically intelligent, right? You you understand your body. Mm-hmm. That example. I'm not an athlete, but I have a bit higher. Mm-hmm. bodily intelligence because I'm able to move parts of my bodies in ways that the average cannot move at all or mm-hmm. in the ways that I can. Mm-hmm. So it, it also, if you add a high um, musical sensibility and music intelligence with a body intelligence, that's when you're going to get into dance. Right. Because you under, you can feel the music. Right. But you can also, you have an, a, a, an intelligence of your body where you can control your body in a way that is art. Right. Obviously, athletes do this with the 
precise placement of their body in ways that achieve the outcome of the of of the game. Right. Police officers and you know people who are physical, like they have they have actual physical labor jobs. Right. You have to have an intelligence of your body in order to perform those tasks, and that's why you have to go through rigorous physical Mm -hmm. testing and boot camps and you know all those types of things because you have to learn how to use your body in the correct ways in order to have fast reaction times and Mm -hmm. etc etc next one is interpersonal intelligence and so interpersonal intelligence is sensitivity to others moods feelings temperaments motivations and their ability to cooperate and to work as a as a part of a group I think I'm pretty high in that. So I think that women are are higher in interpersonal intelligence than men on average. Mm-hmm. That is just based on just a, a theory, a, a, my own personal theory that has no scientific backing for me you to mean reference. You haven't done studies on it. Yes, um, I didn't even do any internet <laughs> research. Um, but I think we it can, would make I, sense. I think we can all pretty much like say that we know for fact. That, that uh, women are better. Women at understand this. emotions better than men. <laughs> so, I but think you're probably right. Men can also be intelligent in interpersonal intelligence, um, for sure. The next one is intrapersonal intelligence. So interpersonal, um, which is the outward uh-huh. intelligence of relationships and sensitivity to others' moods. Intrapersonal is somebody who's introspective and self-reflective, hmm. um, have deep understanding of the self. Yeah. So those are two different intelligences. And we're going to come back to this. Okay. I, I want to come back to interpersonal and interpersonal because I think that it is one of the most important things we have to understand. Yeah. The eighth one, the eighth official one, mm-hmm. is naturalistic. And so this is knowledge of nature, um, nurturing right. and relating to one's own natural surroundings. So sensitive, ethical, and holistic understanding of the world and its complexities, like the role of humanity within the greater ecosphere. Right. So naturalistic intelligence are just nature lovers. Right. And people, people who understand we are connected to the earth. Like right. everything we do here does leave a footprint, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And and all of the all of the knowledge and information and intelligence that you gain from right. being an animal mm-hmm. on the earth, interconnected with the greater ecosystem right and understanding your place within that ecosystem and operating within that and being sensitive to the changes of atmosphere um right within that just, just knowing live and breathe and know knowing the land. the land um that's something that i have been recently um more interested in more like trying to learn just because I've, I've never really been a nature person but i've been feeling very very connected to nature in the last year and reading native american poets and the way they talk about nature it's like oh i know nothing right well westerners know nothing about yeah. almost anything so right. <laughs> exactly um in the last one before we go back to interpersonal is there is now newer evidence that the originator of this theory is saying that we probably should consider including is a spiritual or existential 
intelligence mm -hmm. that it seems like the number of criteria needed in order for that to be an intelligence has been met and it's in, it's in good to include it at least in the um, potential that it's there mm -hmm. that existential or spiritual intelligence well i have an existential crisis every day so <laughs> yeah pretty um, good at that so going back to interpersonal and intrapersonal intelligences the reason i want to come back to this is because i don't know if this is to, is true or not but i have i have my own personal theory that in this multiple intelligence theory that in order for you to really break through to really grow mm -hmm. to really move past and be able to learn these other intelligences you have to get to at least a certain point within the interpersonal intelligence and the intrapersonal intelligence i mean i agree i think if you're high in the naturalistic intelligence, then you're going to be high in the intrapersonal. Mm -hmm. I think they sort of go hand in hand. Same with the music and intrapersonal, because in order to write music mm -hmm. or lyrics, you have to be very in tune with yourself. Right. You know, it right. seems like kind of a base, a starting point for everything else. Yeah. And so I think that if you have a growth mindset, you can understand that there are now eight or nine different areas of growth instead right. of the looming like i just need to be smarter right like where you you start maybe at a fixed mindset where you're like i just I, i'm not smart i i'm not going to be able to learn or i can't learn or i can't change but then maybe you move into a growth mindset and you're like okay i can change i can learn things i can become a better person mm -hmm. i think for some people it can be overwhelming to understand that they can become smarter, mm -hmm. but how do you become smarter? Like how, like if it's just one big number, if right. it's just one intelligence, like how am I moving forward in my intelligence? Right. I think multiple intelligence theory allows at least me to see intelligence in these different functions and factions of my brain and understanding the importance of certain specific ones the interpersonal and the intrapersonal being um among the top among the top ones for sure well i think it's just like it categorizes things to make it into bite-size chunks instead of like oh god i have to be a whole new better person what you can be like okay well i mean i can take piano lessons or i can go sit in nature or whatever like mm -hmm. it it breaks it down, I feel like, and makes it a lot more manageable because we do tend to have this um, idealistic thing. You know, we all do it <laughs> every year. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so much better. Mm -hmm. And you make insane deals with yourself. You know, I'm going to lose 30 pounds or whatever. Well, how are you going to lose 30? Like, it's not it, it makes it so overwhelming. Whereas if you say like, well, I'm just going to walk a mile every day. Like that's so achievable. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's what this multiple intelligence theory does. It like breaks things down into achievable, understandable things instead of just this really huge ethereal idea of intelligence. You can be like, okay, well, I know that I can start reading and that'll make me smarter in this area mm -hmm. or, you know, if, if you would like to know what you are 
most intelligent in within the multiple intelligence theory, I would say start taking note of what you always want to talk about. Yeah. Anytime you're in a conversation with somebody, the thing that you keep bringing it back to is the thing that you are smartest in. Mm -hmm. Because you always want to talk about what you know. You want to talk about what you feel confident in, what you feel that you know the most in. So if you're always bringing it back to music, then you are probably somebody with a high musical intelligence. Mm -hmm. But I think that the one to look out for is if you are always bringing it back to interpersonal relationships, Mm -hmm. this is something I have learned uh, through Cal Newport's uh, book, Digital Minimalism. He talks about this, the brain's default mode and network within the book. And essentially the brain's default mode network is, what do you think about whenever you aren't thinking? Mm-hmm. That was the question. Whenever you stop thinking, what do you start thinking about? Mm-hmm. Because we all know you your brain doesn't like turn off. Right. It, it's doing its own thing, whether it, you're aware or not. <laughs> right. And the moment you try to stop thinking, you're thinking about the fact that you're trying to stop thinking. And, mm-hmm. you, can, you know, it's like this whole thing. So they did these experiments. Um, so that the scientific experiment was putting somebody in FRM, FMRI machine having them look at a screen and it's showing them um, just different images or objects, whatever they they did. And as they were showing the images, they were scanning the brain to see which parts of the brain lit up. But that wasn't the actual experiment. The actual experiment was telling them, okay, we're going to take a 10-minute break mm-hmm. and then scanning them while they were resting. Right. And they found that the parts of the brain that light up when you stop thinking are the parts of the brain associated with your interpersonal relationships, with your social world. You start thinking about your social life. One of the quotes from the book was, the brain did not evolve over millions of years to spend its free time practicing something irrelevant to our lives. Right. So what does that mean? Why do we, why do we start thinking about our social life when we stop thinking? Mm-hmm. And if interpersonal relationships is one of the intelligences it also points to that, that it is something that is very important. Right. So the reason it's important within an evolutionary mindset, and let's just take our like humanity out of it and just talk about us as animals, we can survive better if we cooperate. Mm-hmm. So if we think about our social life and how we accidentally uh, snub somebody at the watering hole, we can think about that, go apologize and make amends, or we can think about that somebody snubbed us and go kill them. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, you know, the uh, animal world, you know, mm-hmm. dictates that happens through whatever knowledge we happen to have at that particular time in our history. Right. You know, the actions are going to be different. So literally, when you stop thinking, you start thinking about your social life. Mm-hmm. And if there are toxic relationships right. in your social life, then those are the things you begin to think about. Because your mind is trying to process the how to maintain cooperation right. within your tribe, within your group of other humans that you do life with, which we have evolved to believe that it is life or death. It has become very important for humans to cooperate with one another. Right. And because of that, our brain's default mode network, the thing that we think about upon not thinking mm-hmm. is our social life. If we do not hold the intelligence in our social life, 
then we can never move past that particular moment, that particular toxic relationship. Right. And so knowing the multiple intelligence theory, that interpersonal is an intelligence that you can grow in because we have a growth mindset. And we know that we have a mental capacity and each of us have a social capacity. We have a certain specific capacity for how much we can be social creatures. Mm -hmm. I have my own theory that if we are surrounded by toxic or unhealed relationships, our brains are literally hardwired to think about our social lives. So when we remove distractions, we immediately start thinking about those relationships Mm-hmm. And we won't stop thinking about them until some form of internal or external action is taken. If all our mental capacity is taken up by those thoughts and the distractions we use from those thoughts to get away from those thoughts, mm-hmm. then we can't progress in our emotional and other intelligences. Right. So just like an instrument or football or healthcare, you have to practice emotional intelligence to get better. Right. If you want to get better at an instrument, you have to practice to get better. If you want to get better at football, you have to practice to get better. Right. As you get better, you will increase your mental capacity mm-hmm. to use freely as you wish. So the more interpersonal intelligences you gain and or intrapersonal intelligence you gain, mm-hmm. Because you have to take some sort of internal or external action when it comes to relationships. Right. If you, if you, every time you try to turn your brain off, if you start thinking about a specific relationship, that is not going to go away until you take an external or internal action. Right. And so you have to gain the emotional intelligence of others and yourself Mm -hmm. in order to move past that. You may not have to go to that person, make amends and and create, make the relationship right. That may not be possible because ultimately you're only responsible for yourself and you can't be responsible for their actions. Right. But it would be amazing if you had the interpersonal relationship skills and intelligence to go to that person, heal the relationship and do that. But. Maybe you don't have those skills. Maybe they don't have those skills. And it actually takes an in, an internal action. Right. And that inter- internal action is knowing, is being introspective, right. being self-reflective, sitting down and thinking about that thing mm-hmm. that won't, you won't, you literally won't stop thinking about. Right. Well, and also it's not going to maybe even be something that just goes away after you think about it. It'll be something maybe that pops up all the time mm-hmm. that you have to like train yourself on how to deal with you know triggers and stuff like that's basically what i'm talking about like things that you know sometimes you will be getting over or healing or whatever from something for your whole life you know what i mean but that's the value of being introspective is first recognizing those patterns or triggers or whatever and then recognizing how you typically cope and if you don't like how you typically cope learning new coping skills that's that's intrapersonal exactly and once you're able to at least do that mm-hmm. you know you may it may not be healed it may not be fixed it may not be something that you moved past 
but you were at least had enough intra or interpersonal um, intelligence to recognize it and move on. Right. At least move on into other thoughts. Right. Because if we all have a certain mental capacity, we can only have so many thoughts per day. Mm -hmm. Just like we only have 24 hours per day. If all of your thought capacity is taken up by these interpersonal relationships, then how are you going to think about yourself and heal yourself and have introspection? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have introspection, you're going to be get caught in those interpersonal relationships. Right. And I have noticed this as somebody I'm in my early 30s now. And as somebody who has lived through their 20s, I would say I've become sick of mm-hmm. and have recognized that 20 year olds at least in the generation that I grew up in, in mm-hmm. the environment that I grew up in, pretty much exclusively are talking about interpersonal relationships when they get together and talk. Mm-hmm. It's not getting together and talking about music or visual or verbal or logic or you know bodily intelligence or philosophy. philosophy. It's talking about who shit talking who mm-hmm. and or somebody asked me this question and this is the advice I gave them or somebody is going through this thing and this is what is happening with that and this is how, what I think about it, what do you think about it? All of this mental capacity Mm -hmm. that is being used on things that used to matter because it used to be imperative to our survival right? that we maintained social order and cooperation with others. Mm -hmm. I'm not advocating for... Um, individualism and we no right. longer cooperate with others right it's just that our brain's default n- mode network makes us feel as though we have to think about like we we are thinking about these things mm-hmm. and we are thinking about these things because our brain defaults to thinking about them and if it's toxic if it's negative if it needs healing then it's always coming back to our brain Right. We're always talking about it. It is weighing on us. It's taking our mental capacity. It is it is creating a, a burnout limit where we have to take those thoughts out of our head and talk about them with someone else mm-hmm. who is also having their own interpersonal relationship thoughts. Mm-hmm. They listen to yours. You listen to theirs. You bitch and complain about it. Mm-hmm. And then you go home and nothing changed. Well, Yes. I mean, that does, um, I feel like, leaves little room for the relief you can feel in just saying something. Like, sometimes you just need to get it off your chest. I'm not saying you should always need to get it off your chest, but there is something very... uh, Cathartic. Yeah, cathartic about that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think maybe it's a male-female dynamic difference. Maybe. But it's also... I think it just potentially just the difference between our personalities. Yeah. Go on. No, I mean, I think that it's probably just you. (laughs) (laughs) Which through that being me, that is why I've come to this theory. Right. That if you get past all of this interpersonal garbage and heal the relationships by gaining interpersonal intelligence Understanding and being sensitive to other people's moods, feelings, temperaments, motivations, and their ability to cooperate and work as a part of a group, then you can actually bring healing in those relationships. And if you if you had the ability to 
quit thinking about everyone else and what they think about you and how it's going to affect you and them if you say or do not say, go, do not go, all of those things, it frees you up to gain intelligence in anything else you want because you have the capacity to do so. Right. I know that sounds a little bit hateful. Um, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to take a hateful tone. Um, it's just kind of naturally how it comes out. I genuinely mean that lovingly that I've been there. I know what it's like to have a relationship stealing all of my mental capacity. Right. I think the problem is how, or at least for me, is how to not let relationships steal all your mental capacity when um, it's when it's clear that there's only one of you interested in. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like when the other person isn't healthy or isn't capable of mending anything or whatever it is, you know, that's when it, for me, that's when it just like sits in my brain and mm -hmm. I can't stop thinking about about it, you know, right? Like I don't, I'm not skilled enough yet to know how to just like move on <laughs> or whatever. When I know somebody has some sort of feelings toward me that I don't understand, like mm -hmm. you know what I mean, right? But they won't talk to me about it. Like I don't really know how to how to operate. Right. So I know that's a rhetorical question, but I will use um, your own words against you essentially okay um that you're not you can't control other people right um and so that's you can't be responsible for how other people respond right if you have done your due diligence right which in, i have gotten better at you know the relationship but because i was forced to get better at like somebody made me right <laughs> get better right. at it you know yeah including me um <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I, I just like it's more so I don't I guess what I'm saying is I don't feel like I'm sitting here constantly thinking about my relationships if they're positive. Right. But like if if there's somebody who I feel like is refusing to understand me, then that's when I can't stop thinking about it. Right. Which it I guess is the point of what it's saying that we have this innate need to live in harmony. But mm -hmm. basically what you said is is. That's my part of my theory is that if we are surrounded by toxic or unhealed relationships, right? That that's what we keep coming back to. Our brain keeps thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, trying to figure out how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, we want to fix it. But uh, I mean, there's so many things you could talk about there. Just like pride getting in the way, selfishness getting in the way, right. like because, other people's coping skills, right? What level they're at? You know, your own lack of emotional intelligence getting in the way, your lack of interpersonal relationship intelligence getting in the way, to put it shortly, mm -hmm. um, the lack of humbleness gets in the way. Right. That if any, in any case, if you humbly go to them and not trying to fix them, um, trying to understand them, or humble yourself in you don't need to fix it, go inside of your introspective self mm -hmm. and just allow yourself to process out of it. Obviously, these are all very easy said, hard to do. Right. Which is why I'm 
which is why I'm recording this podcast, mm -hmm. because I think the interpersonal and intrapersonal intelligence is crucial for anyone to make it in the next step of their journey of becoming. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you can't really progress if your relationships are always toxic. You can't really progress if you hate yourself or whatever. You know what I mean? Like right. that you're always going to be held back by those two things. If those two things, if you don't find a way to live in harmony with those two things, whether that is making amends with people or just learning how to move on if there isn't the ability to make amends or whatever, you know, like, mm -hmm. but it, it will be, it will keep you in, in the place you are currently at, right. no matter what you do in any other area of your life. Which brings to mind another theory that we have grown up in, especially in the church. Um, I, it's not a Christian thing, but you will become the people you surround yourself with. Show oh, me, right. show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future. Mm -hmm. um, these relationships lead you to becoming who you're going to become. Mm -hmm. If those relationships are toxic and unhealed, you're going to be a toxic and unhealed person, right? Unless you take the hard, narrow path of gaining intrapersonal intelligence mm -hmm. where you do your due diligence to find a deep understanding of self and you're able to retreat from those people, find clarity and find answers, then bring that to the group and change it from you know that aspect, which is essentially what we all have to do with our family <laughs> yeah. because we can't just say I'm getting new friends. Right. And then others, I have no shame in that I've had friends groups in the past that were leading me to becoming somebody I didn't want to become because of whatever reasons, including toxic relationships that I, right. it's okay to just remove myself from it. For sure. I have changed. I have become a different person. I now see this group of people as zoomed out larger than my interaction and see that the interaction was taking me to a place that I don't want to be emotionally because in that place I can't freely be myself. And if I can't freely be myself, then I can't truly operate within the music, visual, verbal, logical, interpersonal, naturalistic, and existential intelligence that I would like to operate in, that I would like to gain knowledge in all of the intelligences. Mm -hmm. But I can't because I'm constantly in need of working out frivolous relationship thing. So if you wanted to know my theory on that, there it was. Basically, he'll drop you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I drop it like it's hot. <laughs> No, but I do think there's something to be said for that, which I think you learn as you get older. I think I was maybe like 27 when I really understood that I don't have time for relationships that aren't 50-50. You know what I mean? Like if you're not going to work on this as much as I am, then I don't feel bad like not being close to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there, I think... That's one of the things for me is if I feel like there is equal um, effort, that's very important to me. So 
That's why I have two friends. <laughs> <laughs> Because not a lot of people think equal effort is. And I and it's not as simple as that. I mean, obviously, there's give and take. Some people are going to like I will give more to a relationship than the other person in, in certain seasons or whatever, you know, but like there's give and take. But generally speaking, I've, right. I just am not, I just don't feel like I need to hold on to relationships that aren't trying to hold on to me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, see ya, bye. Like I it mean, doesn't. <laughs> basically at the end of a friend career, how many years that you gave it, if you feel yourself always giving all of your capacity away because they are asking, demanding, or taking all of that capacity from you. Right. And it has never changed, then at some point that's yeah at some you point you just have to be honest and it doesn't make any of it bad or you know whatever because I, i think sometimes you'd be like oh they're such a bad person mm -hmm. like no they just don't have the capacity that you do right or and, understand it right and or neither you or the person walking away maybe had the interpersonal intelligence to be able to communicate what they were feeling in a manner of which you were able to understand. And it was all an emotional blowout. Right. Because nobody knew how to say what they were feeling. Right. Which is, which is why emotional intelligence is so important. Right. Because you have to understand your emotions in order to verbalize your emotions in your interpersonal relationships so that when they feel the sensitivity to your mood, you're able to explain or communicate what your mood is, even if it's not to them. You can right. communicate it to yourself and say, I feel angry. I should step outside for a bit and then come back. Right. And whenever you know that, then you don't get angry in the room and cause a bunch of conflict that actually had nothing to do with anyone other than you forgot to eat. Right. Exactly. Or like I read this thing recently that was basically saying like um, if you like in the moment, you know, if you could realize how much of some people's most people's reaction to you is just them projecting, mm -hmm. then you would take nothing personally, which is like way easier said than done because it doesn't matter if it's projection. It still hurts a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but like that is the truth. Like we're all just kind of projecting our experience you know what i mean it's like half the time at least it's nothing personal <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think that's really it that's that's the my theory um mm -hmm. you know based on all of these things that i've learned of just mental capacity um, emotional intelligence multiple intelligence theory the brain's default mode network you become who you hang out with like toxic relationships just steal all of your mental capacity and to where you can't move on and grow in areas of what you want to grow and or just move on and live your life yeah and I, th i think also um the i'm reading the body keeps the score right now which is a really fascinating book but just the idea that the body and the brain are connected mm -hmm. and our body holds trauma even if you don't realize it and like you the way you trigger has everything to do with like what happened to you as a kid or and it's not necessarily like one big traumatic event he talks about it in the book but anyways i think like Also, that's one thing that I'm learning right now that I find really fascinating is just the how interconnected we are to everything else and we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. I think it goes along with this. Yeah. So throw that into the uh, fishbowl of ideas Yeah. Um, that develop who we are 
I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how ideas are formed is you input a bunch of stuff, your brain shakes it around. Files it away, however it, it files. However it does it. <laughs> and then it comes out in this new thing, even, yep. even if it's just new for you. Yep. So really my argument is uh, gain intelligence. Yeah. And it, I now have a new way to talk about that, that I think knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. It's not knowing that is important. It is understanding that we don't know. Right. That is the most important. Your My fight isn't so much for intelligence as it is against ignorance. Because we will never gain enough intelligence. We will never know what is able to be known. Right. But ignorance is what keeps us from moving forward. And ultimately, my, I believe, for me, for Cody, living on the edge of what is possible is the only way to make sure that life is worth dying for. There you go. And so uh, I leave you in peace, my friends, to go <laughs> gain some intelligence, heal some relationships, figure out what are, what are you most intelligent in? You got some musical intelligence, visual, verbal, logistical or mathematical, logical, I guess, bodily, kinesthetic. I like <laughs> saying that word, kinesthetic. Interpersonal, intrapersonal, naturalistic, existential. And which ones do you know nothing about, nothing in, that you could learn a little bit? Or, you know, just because you don't know anything in music doesn't mean that you have to go learn an instrument. Right. But music is incredibly important. If you listen to music. I would argue the most important. Sarah would argue that. I would. I would die for that statement. (laughs) This is my argument for why interpersonal is the most important. We could probably do another podcast about why Sarah thinks music is the most important. I think music teaches you everything else about life that you need to know. If you truly listen. That's what I'm saying. So you got to gain, you have to gain knowledge and how to listen to music. Yeah. To become music. I suppose that's true. One thing that I haven't learned is how to end the podcast. That is also true. So this is how we're going to end it. Bye. (laughs) 